and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today on the show, it's a mailbag show. For this winter, I think, well, we have kind of fallen behind, Darren. And no, we've no. gotten so many I, I think so it's just been questions. awesome. There's so many questions <laughs> yep. with just the economics, the supply things, and honestly... We've gotten so many soil tests and soil and fertility questions, and I used to just think it was partly because, or it was mostly because of prices that, oh, it's so expensive to put on fertilizer, and even just to do crop removal rates, it costs a lot of money. But now I I just see so many farmers working on, hey, I want to understand this better because I know I can get more yield out of this, and I can get a better response, and I want to find out where I'm spending my money, how I can get a better return on investment, so that's been exciting too. All right, so this is going to be an Ag PhD mailbag show. We're going to take your calls and questions all throughout the show. If you'd like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So anyway, right now, we are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, first one, uh, just a simple question comment here from Jackson. He said, hey, guys, I was wondering if you could do an episode just about winter wheat. I've done a lot of research, and I have not been able to get conclusive answers about uh, timing of planting and conditions that we're going to put the crop into and, and just other management things, even even down to harvest timing, those kinds of things. So basically, planting through harvest, winter wheat, uh, if you could do more shows on that, that would be great. Sure. And we do some specific shows on wheat. I, I, I guess we don't typically just say as a general statement, oh, here's a whole show on winter wheat. We take specific things. So whether it's pre-emerge herbicides, post-emerge herbicides, fungicides and timings, uh, insects you might find in wheat, although, I mean, a lot of different things we might do throughout the show and kind of break it up because there is a lot to talk about there. I would just say when it comes to seeding, as a general statement, we like to be on the early side. Of course, we like that with corn, we like that with soybeans, we like that with most crops, where we typically get the most yield when we plant early. So, whether we're talking spring wheat or winter wheat, we'd prefer to be a little on the early side than on the late side. In the spring wheat, I mean, we just want to get going. Wheat actually will grow at pretty cold temps, and we have seed treatments, for example, we use on our farm to help the the wheat grow at even lower temperatures and pop out of the ground faster. But then if we're talking winter wheat, we want it to get up, get well established, and have a good root system on it. So when it goes into the winter, it isn't on its last leg. Let's put it that way. So anyway, yeah, there's there's certainly a lot we could talk about. But if you have specific questions ever on wheat, and quite frankly, for anybody listening today, if you got specific questions on anything, agronomically speaking, just send them in to, the, to us. We'd be more than happy to answer any specific questions you've got. All right. Got the soil test in from Karen. She's uh, down near College Station, Texas. And she said, I'm Guys, a little different question here. Probably not your typical listener. I am uh, raising roses, and my soil pH is high, and everything that I read about roses say they like pH 6 to 6.5. Here's our challenge, though. My soil pH is high, like 7.9. 
but our tap water that we're watering with is 8.4 pH. Uh, if I have to put high pH water onto high pH soils, that's not trending in the right direction for me. So Correct. I'm wondering, uh, what, what would you do out there? I just bought some elemental sulfur, but I wanted to talk to you guys before applying it to see what you would try out for rates and, uh, and what you think. Okay, so the soil test we got, it doesn't show what our base saturation levels are. I could run the calculations, and I think I could figure it out. So or something, get it close. something is out of balance. When right. you get high pH soil, something's out of balance. You've got too much magnesium. You've got too much calcium. Too much you've something, got something, yeah. something that's off. Okay, one of the things when we talk about just nutrient balance, I can tell you right now, we're just talking about this question last week on the show magnesium to potassium ratio and we said one to one to two to one was a great ratio well this is almost in reverse it's almost a two to one potassium to magnesium ratio so it's too much potassium in relation to magnesium so it appears to me that the magnesium is really uh, really low but a couple of things i don't see on here um Salt is one. I'd like to see, do we have soluble salts? I'd like to see, what's my cation exchange capacity? I don't know what that is. So, I, I mean, and I, I don't have the base saturation test. I do have most of the micros on here, all except for boron. So, anyway, when I look at your soil test, it's a little bit hard to, to know where we're at. And like I say, I could potentially, I, I mean, I could run some numbers. Darren just handed me this, but I want to see that base saturation on there. And so, yeah, I can tell you for sure your magnesium is low. So for, for like less than $15, you could run a complete Malik 3 soil right, analysis right. at Midwest Labs and get results. So I would recommend doing that. It doesn't yep. cost much money yep. and get, get to run a uh, what was it called? Um, the S3C Malik. S-C- and S3C yeah, so, yes. Malik. So when you talk about sulfur and adding elemental sulfur, do we have any issue with that? Probably not, as long as your drainage is okay, which I'm guessing it, it probably looks, it is. It looks like it is. We don't see a buildup in sulfur, but you don't have boron levels on there either. But you're asking about that pH and dealing with that. Yeah, you got a high pH. I would do some elemental sulfur and give it a shot. I would start low and work your way up. Try some, send in another soil test after a few months and see how you did, and then work your way up. Okay. Now, I, I'm not familiar with the Texas A&M soil test that you've got here, so I can't tell you for sure. But we do find ratios, phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper. So for example, when we're running Malik 3 test, we want to have that phosphorus to zinc ratio somewhere around 5 to 1. Well, your ratio right now is around 30 to 1. And same thing with copper, where we'd like that ratio, a lot of times it's 20 to 1, 30 to 1, something like that. It's much higher than that. But again, I can't say for sure on those ratios with this test. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. back you're listening to ag phd radio it's an ag phd mailbag show today which is a lot like a farmer friday we're going to take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and also answer your questions that come in via email radio at agphd.com brian i got two soil samples that came in here from gary out in utah they represent two fields Gary, I'm going to pick on you just a little bit. When you send one sample in for a whole field and say, what would you do? That's really difficult to do because that field is not consistent from one end to the other. Well, few fields are consistent from one end to the other. And and in his defense, we don't know how big these fields are, do we? Well, no, we don't. But he said uh, they could be corn silage. They could be alfalfa, depending on the water situation, which to me says irrigation. You don't have small irrigation fields in Utah. They're generally pretty big. But anyway, regardless of that, Gary, we're going to give you our best shot here based on these one samples per field. We got high pH, high salt, high magnesium. Wait, wait, wait. What would you guys do? Yeah, I guess when you say high salt, it's, it's on the high side. It's not ridiculous, but it's on the high side. Okay. Right. So, but what's causing it? And that's something that yes. I'd be asking, Gary, is uh, am I putting a lot of manure out here? Uh, is there something in the water? Do I have poor drainage where salts can't get out? And all that happens is they come to the surface and yeah, just start it, to build up. Yeah. It, well, it it may be something like that. And here's why I say that. We've got cation exchange capacity in one field of 16. That's where we have lower salt, 1.7. We have 2.6 on the salt end when we have the 24 cation exchange capacity field. So my guess is we don't have the best drainage through that. So that that's one of my concerns and part of why we don't have good drainage. Because right away, whenever I say drainage, immediately most people hear tile. Okay, now don't get me wrong. Would I tile in this field, in these fields? I probably would if it was me. But here's another reason why we have this issue high magnesium 
if you can get the magnesium to calcium thing corrected, then over time you're going to find better porosity in your soil and just flat out better drainage. So in the one field it has more salt, and by the way, it's at 2.5% sodium, so that's not great. Uh, I mean, it's not horrible, but I mean, it's it's... It's in an air. It's at a level where we'd say we got to watch out. If it gets any higher than that, we're we're going to hurt yield for sure. So forty percent magnesium though in that field, forty percent in the other field, it's twenty eight percent, which isn't horrible. It's not great, but anyway. So what would I do if these were my fields? Well, on the lighter field, the the one that's sixteen, we're going to assume that's got a little bit better drainage because it's a little bit lighter. But the first things that I'm always looking at is P and K. And in both cases, I say it's not it's not terrible, um, at least on the potash side or potassium side, but it's not great. Uh, so we're at 20 parts per million. I believe that's parts per million he's got here. And on phosphorus, that's it. So that's really, 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 really low. Uh, potassium, 230 parts per million, which is pretty low. Now, granted, your potassium-based saturation, according to this, it says 4.4%. So that's not bad. Um, I, I, I mean, that's that that's okay, but we got to make sure it absolutely doesn't go below that. All right. Then, in addition, you got to look at some of the micronutrients too, like zinc, for example. We were just talking about with the last question that we had come in about looking at the phosphorus to zinc ratio. So here, your phosphorus is really low, but even so, your zinc is exceptionally low. You're at 1.1 parts per million. So I can promise you adding some zinc is going to help you. Even on the other field, you're at 1.4 parts per million. I, I mean, your zinc's low, your copper's 0.6. On the other field, it's 1.2 parts per million. Those things are just flat out too low. You got to get those up. On manganese, I don't know. I'm guessing that this is running a DTPA test here, so I don't trust the manganese score at all. Um, I'd like to see a Malik 3 test on that. Okay. With the heavier field, I, I would say over time, would it be nice to get, let's say, some gypsum out there? Sure it would, because then that's going to meet my sulfur needs, because in both fields, the sulfur is fairly low. And then you're going to get some more calcium out there, and that's going to change your ratio of calcium to magnesium. In the meantime, again, I'm looking at P and K. Your potassium in this case is 3.5% base saturation K. Not horrible, but I want to keep working on building that. And your phosphorus is, again, really low, 25 parts per million. And I see with the recommendations that the, that you got here, they're, they're, they're suggesting you put on a lot of phosphorus on both fields. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, I oh, and by the way, they did recommend here gypsum on the one field that was heavier. So I would recommend the same thing. Hopefully, you can get the gypsum at a reasonable cost, but uh, but yeah, I would be taking a look at that. The things that they didn't talk about, or at least talk much about, were some of the micronutrients. So on your recommendations, I see they did a little bit of zinc. I'm probably pushing it more than what they're going to suggest because I want to get my ratios fixed. All right. All that said, you said corn or alfalfa. Here's my problem with that. Corn, I'm fine with because it's an annual crop. Alfalfa, I'm not fine with it. Usually when we, okay, so with a lot of the dairies that are around here, for example, they want people to either do corn or alfalfa. And they're putting manure on every year before the corn, maybe even before beans. And in some cases, really building up the P and K, like to levels that would be 
five or ten times where you have your P and K levels at. If your P and K levels, especially the P, gets really high, that's where I go, hey, this is probably a good time to have that field be alfalfa for three or four years. The reason why is this. If you think, oh, I'm going to take a low phosphorus field like both of these are, and I'm going to put alfalfa in, and I'm just going to put on some phosphorus each year, that's not going to work very well. I'll tell you right now. you got to get the phosphorus down in the soil. you got one chance to do that. That's before you seed the alfalfa. So either you have to build it up for years prior to that, or you have to put a crazy amount on in one shot. That's how you maximize alfalfa production. Now, the good thing with alfalfa is it likes soil pH at 7 or a little above, so it would do fine. Now, granted, we found we can get tremendous corn yields at an 8 pH as well, as long as you're taking care of all the individual nutrients. So, yeah, phosphorus is really the biggest thing. If it's my field, I'm getting that built up immediately. I'm building a little more K, getting more sulfur out there, definitely building the zinc and copper, and then we go from there. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, let's switch gears here. Let's talk a little at Kim. This one's from Stan. He said, guys, can you talk me through metribuzin and low CEC soils? What are the real risks here? Is it crop damage? Is it leaching yes. away and not getting good weed control? Yes. Is there some sort of environmental concern? Why, no. why would you not do it and why would you do it? Okay, in the low CEC, the crop damage thing, that is a real deal. So if you get a lot of rain, you're going to push a lot of that metribuzin into the plant very, very quickly, and you could absolutely hurt the plant. So if your CEC is less than 5, we're going to tell you for sure, skip the metribuzin. If your CEC cation exchange capacity is less than 10, I'm going to be really careful with any metribuzin I'm going to use. Probably going to use an eighth of a pound or a sixth of a pound, something like that. So yes, low CEC, you have you have a chance for crop injury risk. In terms of leaching, metribuzin can leach in any soil. It's obviously going to leach easier in the low CEC, though. It just doesn't stick around very long. So some products, in fact, most ag chem products, most herbicides you can use are going to last a long time, regardless of the soil texture. But metribuzin is certainly not one of those. It doesn't last long, even in heavy ground. And if you got light ground, it can leach away fairly easily. All right, yeah, we get a lot of questions around metribuzin. It's um, it's a really important chemistry. It, it, it really is. helps we a lot on, on some of the small-seeded broadleaf weeds. You just have to know where you're putting it yeah. and at what rate. Yeah, and so when you hear me talk about this, you might think, oh, metribuzin is not the best product. No, it's fantastic, and if you're a soybean farmer with a cation exchange capacity over 5, we want you to use it. And especially if you have a cation exchange capacity over 10, in my opinion, as an agronomist, I would say you're required to use it. Okay, so it's that valuable to the program. Now, some people will talk about high pH ground. The great news in high pH ground, you can still use metribuzin absolutely. Just cut the rate back. Use an eighth of a pound, a sixth of a pound, something like that. Spend two bucks, and you'll get $10 worth of control or more. Stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions right after this. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. 
To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Scene B wants to help make your holidays John Deere green. With in-store selections of toys, lifestyle products, and collectibles, we have something for everybody. Make a list, check it twice, and find that perfect gift at your nearest CNB store. With 10% off going on now through December 31st, don't delay, shop today. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now, when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! I'll repair! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's an Ag PhD mailbag show today. We're taking your calls and questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Yeah, we got some good ones, too. So in, in this case, Darren, we got one from Kelly up in North Dakota. And actually... He isn't even really asking us a question. It was more they, they were talking wheat varieties with his agronomist and everything, but he copied us in on stuff. And what I was excited to see is he'd done both. And granted, we're, only, we're not talking like a million spots or anything, but in one spot, for example, we've got 0 to 6 inch test, a 0 to 12 inch, a 12 to 24. We've got Malik analysis versus DTPA. So it's kind of interesting. So I, what I wanted to talk about with his tests just real quick, was it's it's one where it says West Pivot, and he's got a 0 to 12-inch test running a Malik and a 0 to 12-inch test running DTPA. So I, I, I like that a lot. 
Now, a lot of people have asked us, why are you running Malik now instead of running these DTPA tests? There's one nutrient we don't like on the DTPA, and that's manganese. Because manganese seems to correlate on the DTPA test only to soil pH. Whereas on the Malik 3 test, it gives us a more real, what we feel is a more real reading of manganese in the soil. And when we've run all these tests on our farm in the last five years comparing yield to nutrient level, we can actually correlate manganese to yield now. We couldn't do that with the DTPA test. The other reason why I like the Malik 3 in addition to manganese is it's like half price of the DTPA. So I think it's just as accurate and more accurate with the manganese and uh, cheaper. So I like cheap, I like accurate, that's great. Anyway, most of the numbers you're going to find on the DTPA versus the Malik 3 are going to be fairly similar, like base saturation percentages, almost identical, and that's what he's got here as well. So, for example, he's got 13 for cation exchange capacity on the one, 15, so, I mean, it's 13.6 versus 15.5, so it's medium textured soil, it's very, very close, but Here's what I wanted to point out. It's 7.8 or 8 pH. It's right there. I mean, right around 8. So when we've got a high pH, one of the things that we, we want to always kind of keep in mind is the, the soil is only high in pH because something is out of balance. What is out of balance is the question. On our farm, what we have found, one of the biggest things in our high pH ground is lack of potassium. So like in his case, he's got 3% base saturation K. That's one of the things we've corrected before. And believe it or not, as we've raised the K, our soil pH has come down. Now, almost no one is going to tell you, oh, that should happen. But again, I go back to, we got a nutrient imbalance here. The other thing on his soil tests, I'll just read you some of the numbers, even on the Malik. Sulfur, 10 parts per million. That's really low. Zinc, 2 parts per million. That's really low. Copper, 1.4 parts per million. That's really low. Boron, 0 0.8 parts per million. That's really low. And phosphorus, 33 parts per million. And by the way, the, the phosphorus reading on a Malik 3 is going to be similar to a P2 on a Bray test, and sure enough, it is. He's got 33 on the Malik. He's got 37 on the P2. So that's the strong Bray phosphorus test. So what I'm saying here is phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, zinc, copper, and boron are all low. I would be willing to bet if we get all those things up, things are going to start to come back into balance in our soil. But here's the big problem, and I haven't talked about it yet. We ask, okay, what is really out of balance in our high soil pH? Well, I'll tell you what's out of balance in this one. Sodium. 12.4% on the one, 13.9% on the other. The sodium is way out of balance. How do you fix a sodic soil like this? Number one, we suggest tiling the field. Number two, we suggest solving any sodium contribution problems that you have to the field. So that would mean no more manure. And if you've got high sodium water, you either look for a better source, you figure out some way to treat that water. In order to flush that sodium out over time, we got to get more sulfur out there and a lot of it once we fix the drainage. So I'd also say we're looking at calcium levels that aren't great. So would I go out there with gypsum, which would add calcium to make my soil more porous? 
and the sulfur that hopefully is going to bind with this sodium to form sodium sulfate, which is a salt which will leach it out of the ground? Yes. And at the level we're at, 12.4 to 13.9%, that's way too high. You're on the way to the soil being dead. So we got to figure out how to get it addressed. It's going to take time to get it down. But if you do this right, you're going to have higher yields as we move forward. Your ground's going to be worth a lot more. And one of the best things depending on your situation, is you're going to leave this ground in better shape for the next generation. All right. Thanks for uh, for the questions and information there. Really appreciate that. Got this from Petey out in Idaho. He said, guys, you got a lot of soil sample info today so far, a lot of questions and, and, so, and such. But one that I've got is ratios, like zinc to phosphorus. My question is, do you have an Excel file on your website? I can just plug my soil test in and get all the general recommendations and target ratios. Uh, I've I had an example from three different labs earlier. It would be interesting uh, to see if how they agree, disagree. Okay, the problem is exactly that. We could put together spreadsheets, but then we don't know what lab you're running things through. And what we found, so I was just talking about this difference between Malik tests and DTPA tests. Both run at the same lab at Midwest Labs in Omaha. With the Malik tests, we're finding our yield data is showing us getting the ratio close to 5 to 1 phosphorus to zinc, which I never thought it needed to be that low. But that's what our data is showing for a great corn crop or a great bean crop. 5 to 1. I can't believe it. With the DTPA test, it was closer to somewhere between 8 to 1, 10 to 1, something like that when we compared the P1 phosphorus level versus the DTPA zinc test. So this is, again, why we would suggest for literally everyone listening, start comparing your yield to your soil tests. And then you have your own data from your farm and your lab, and you can see what your right ratio is. I never thought this ratio thing was a big deal 10 years ago. But the more I look at it and the more I have all this data off our farm, it's an enormous deal toward yield. And, yeah, I'm not saying that, oh, I'm ra if I'm and raising it, 150 bushel corn, I'm going to immediately go to 300. But if I'm at 150 bushel corn, could I immediately go to 170 or 175 if I fix these things? Definitely. And I'm betting that in some areas of the country, in some soil types, those ratios might be slightly different. If you get tons of rain, you may need a slightly different ratio. Like, for example, if maybe, you got light soils maybe. and you, yeah. you need stuff to but, be available now. Yeah, but. Uh, or if you've got heavy soils and you need uh, a little higher level of nutrients that don't move around. Like, you're talking about zinc maybe. and phosphorus. Neither of those Neither move one. around very much. Right. That's why I don't but think But if it'd you're be doing a ratio a to you know, one that's immobile in the soil versus one that's mobile. Well, that might be a little different story. So, I mean, you got to use some common sense, but here's the thing. You've got half of the data that we talk about. You already have on your farm. If you have a yield monitor, yep, that's you right. know what your yield is yep. in every acre. Yep. Pull some soil samples and see, Yeah. do it on one field and well, get a small amount of data and see what that tells you. Then do it on a few fields and get a larger amount of data and well, see if that's the thing, Darren, true. And I'm just going to throw this out to our, our listeners and you're probably going to think I'm crazy. Why not do a thousand acres on your farm in one acre soil test grids one year? Just one year. I'm not saying every year. I'm not saying every other year or anything else. I'm saying one time ever. You do that, for example, early this spring, and you could then compare all your soil test levels to what your yield was in the fall. And I bet you're going to see correlation between yield 
and your soil test points, and you're going to be able to chart that out real simply. We're working on a program, a software program right now. We're hopefully going to launch at our Ag PhD Field Day. So anybody can just dump all their information into the program, and then you'd have all your own ratios. You'd have all your own data. You'd have all your own stuff showing you, just like we have on our farm. Like one of the biggest things for us was potassium, and you could see it just, I mean, as plain as day, where the, the more potassium we had, the higher the yield was, period. Corn, beans didn't matter, didn't matter the year, didn't matter heavy rainfall, light rainfall, whatever. So when I have that kind of information, all of a sudden I don't have to listen to any fertilizer expert or anybody else. I say, I got my own data and it shows me I need to invest more of my money in this thing rather than this other thing and I'm going to be more profitable. Stay tuned, we'll get to more of your questions right after this on Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming. Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're answering email questions, radio at agphd.com. This one's interesting, Brad. This comes from Albert. And we were talking about the benefits of copper in the soil. And Albert said, thanks for adding copper to our food. And I don't know if that's a positive comment, Albert, or if you're being sarcastic there, but thought we'd talk about copper and uh, going, just the importance of well, it in our diets. Yeah, we're going to assume that he knows that copper is very important to a human diet, to an animal diet. I, I was During the break, we were talking about this question. I said, Darren, I take a multivitamin every day. I'll guarantee it has copper in there. So I pulled up the label on that. I had taken a picture of it recently just because um, I... Well, anyway, I just did and because occasionally I get a question about this. And, yes, there's copper in there. In the vitamin I take every day, it says 0.5 milligrams. And according to this, it says it's 56% of the daily requirement. And I don't remember exactly what, you know, I assume that's for a normal-sized human being. Uh, but anyway, yeah, copper is really important for plants in terms of, I mean, one of the big things we talk about with copper is just disease tolerance in plants. If they're short on copper, they're way more likely, I mean, way more likely to get disease. It's the same kind of deal in humans and animals. I mean, we need a balance of nutrients. Now, I, I get it that sometimes we hear, oh, we, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to take zinc or, you know, any of these things. Look, anything can be harmful for you if you way overdo it. But on the flip side, if you get none of a particular nutrient, you're in trouble. So anyway, we, we got to have a balance of nutrients and copper is one of the most important things. But here's something we bring up to livestock people all the time. Okay, what did I just say? I take a multivitamin every day. Now, I, my grandpa and his brother would always have this argument. His brother was a doctor and the brother, the doctor, would always say, look, I don't need, I don't take a multivitamin every day. I don't need that. I eat a well-balanced diet. Well, my grandpa was in the opposite and he's like, well, just in case I don't eat exactly right, I want to take the multivitamin. Well, with the livestock people, what we talk about is look at where you're short on any one nutrient. And if you have to add supplements for your livestock, what that's probably telling you is the crop you're feeding them is short on that nutrient. So let's just say, for example, it's copper and you have to add some kind of supplement. Well, how about just getting more copper out in your field? What that's most likely going to do is make your plant better anyway, and you might get more yield or tonnage out of it. And then you've got that nutrient passing through to the livestock. So Unfortunately, here in the United States anyway, when I haul corn to the grain elevator, I don't get any premium if I've got a good level of copper in there or not, or any nutrient or not. And maybe someday we need to get to that. And then if people are, in effect, incentivized to do the right things in their field to have a, a well-balanced diet for the crop, well, now overall... If you look at everything in our society, then hopefully we've got more nutrients and more of the right nutrients passing through the livestock, which then eventually gets into human beings. Wow, that was a long explanation for a one sentence. I thought, I thought you were just going to wrap statement. the show with that one, Brian. But, okay, uh, get this one from Nathan, and uh, he's, he's over in uh, Minnesota. 
And Nathan says, guys, uh, you've talked a lot about group 15s in various crops, corn, soybeans, and so forth. I'm just curious, how do you rank them and why uh, are the rankings the way they are and what are the differences that you notice in control? All right. Let's list some group 15s. Okay. Harness, so, surpass, they're the same thing. That's a seed floor. Yep. You've got Zidua, you've got Outlook, and you've got Dual. That's really about it, right? Yep. I mean, because yep. Warrant is just watered down harness with a safener. Um, or not with a safener, but with, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, not a polymer, but well, it's kind of yeah. a polymer. Yeah, it's encapsulated. Encapsulated, there you go. But anyway, all right, so you've got Zidua, you got the Harness Surpass, they're the same. you got Outlook, you got Dual. So how do we rank those? I would just say this, all equal on grass control. I, I can't tell the difference, and I don't think you'll be able to tell the difference ever if you put the full rate of each one out and you're comparing grass control. Now, in terms of broadleaf control, a lot of times we actually can see a difference. Harness and Surpass is going to be the best, Dual is going to be the worst, Zidge was probably a little bit behind Harness and Surpass, but it's pretty good, and I'd rank Outlook third. So in terms of broadleaves, small seed broadleaves like Water Hemp, Palmer, Kosha, Lamb's Quarters, I'd rank Harness Surpass one, Zidua two, Outlook three, Dual four. Um, in terms of long-lasting in the soil, well, Zidua is going to last the longest, okay? Harness and Surpass is going to last the shortest amount of time, and Outlook and Dual are somewhere in between. So a lot of times what we'll say is, all right, if you think you've got, you're going to have tremendous rainfall and you just want to make sure that the Group 15 hangs around, that's where people prefer Zidua. So let's say you're in Illinois, for example, versus me in South Dakota, you get way more rainfall, maybe double the rainfall that I do here in South Dakota. So Zidua might be a better product in Illinois. I'm not saying it is. It might work out better. And for me here in South Dakota, with less rainfall, Harness and Surpass, in our experience, has shown to work with the least amount of rainfall. So in terms of in dry conditions, I'm going to rank Harness and Surpass number one. I'm going to rank Outlook number two, Dual three, and Zidual four. But as I say all this, you can make any of these four products successful Almost in almost any condition, there's not. It's not like it's that dramatic a thing. And again, in terms of grass control, they're really all equal. So they're excellent herbicides. But what we say with these group 15s is, look, if you're using them in corn, pre-emerge in soybeans, we would encourage you not to use one of these. Use a yellow instead, like trifluralin or prowl. Trifluralin and prowl, quite frankly, are better on grass than any of the group 15s. They're also better on broadleaves than any of the group 15s, and you don't use them in corn. So it makes for a nice rotation partner. Now, if you wanted to use a group 15 in soybeans, my recommendation usually is to go early post. So I'd follow up with the three pre thing that we talk about all the time with a group 15 and maybe a PPO like Flexstar Cadet early post. That way you'd have a tremendous program. And I'd say too, there are a lot of people now talking about conventional soybeans because they're getting premiums and stuff. If you're raising conventional soybeans, and again, I'll just tell you, if I was your agronomist, I would tell you don't even dream about planting conventional beans unless you're putting the three pre's down and you're following with a group 15 and a PPO early post. 
So, and you're going to go, oh, I got to have five chemistries out there. Yes, you do. Because in conventional beans, our weed control options are terrible later on. You've got to get these things under control, these tough broadleaf weeds, before they become a problem in your field. All right, there you go. All right, I got a follow-up copper question for you, and I got a sodic soil question <laughs> okay. with uh, sulfur. Which one do you want well, first? Copper. Okay, so the copper question, this is from Mike. He said, uh, you suggest two to five parts per million on malic 3 and a 30 to 1 ratio phosphorus to copper. Uh, what about DTPA? It sounds like you guys favor the Malik 3 now. Uh, I've do. always run the DTPA yep. and just kind of curious what, what you think. Okay. On the, when we're running the DTPA, so if we compare P1 phosphorus to DTPA copper, that's where we would say it's somewhere around 30 to one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, two or three parts per million is probably plenty in a lot of cases for copper in a DTPA test. In a Malik 3 test, could it be a little bit higher? Sure. And could that ratio be a little bit tighter than 30 to 1? Maybe it's 20 to 1. I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me off our farm in the last couple of years, but it's probably just a little bit tighter, a little bit closer ratio. But I'm not like super worried about the whole copper thing, as long as you got at least two, maybe three parts per million. The one thing that I would say, we've had Neil Kinsey on this show several times, world famous soil fertility expert. And he's just said, hey, if you get your copper levels over five, that's where we're seeing less sudden death syndrome. So if, for example, you've had a major disease problem, you could at least try a little bit of higher level of copper in your soil. doesn't cost that much and just see what happens and go from there. All right. So we'll get to that sodic soil question right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? 
check out caseih.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today on a mailbag show where we're answering your questions all throughout the show. Darren, you had a sodic soil question. Hey, did you ever find Keith from Illinois' question? I have not yet. We uh, we literally have a stack got, here that's a enormous, which <laughs> is why we decided, you know what, maybe we better, rather than uh, taking a whole bunch of calls today, maybe we better I just was, get to all these questions. I was questions. honestly thinking we already answered Keith's question, but... But maybe we don't have to look back. Uh, get this one from KB. Uh, I've got a soil pH 8.5 to 9. I fall in the sodic range. Okay. Uh, just curious, would sulfuric acid be something that I could use? All right. So first of all, I don't know if that's technically considered a sodic soil. Uh, I think you have to be a little bit higher than that to officially be called a sodic soil. But I don't remember off the top of my head. All I know is 8.5 to 9 is not good. Can you use sulfuric acid? Well, of course you can, but sulfuric acid is unbelievably dangerous. So instead, I would suggest you consider something else. What I'm curious about is what are your levels of sulfur right now in the soil? What are your levels of calcium right now? And once I know that, then here's how I'm going to handle this. Okay. So first of all, if there's a sodic issue out there, it's probably, probably caused by one of three things and maybe a combination, most likely a combination. Poor drainage, poor irrigation water quality, and excess manure. So those are the three things. So let's just say, for example, that you got poor drainage and poor water quality. If that's the case, I'm number one, I'm going to try to find another water source. I'm going to try to go deeper, see if I can get some lower sodium water. Otherwise, I may consider treating the water or something like that. But uh, the drainage thing, that's a big deal. So if let's say this is a cation exchange capacity of 25, so it's a heavy, so it's heavy ground. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, do, do we know where this person's from? Do we know anything else about nope. this? Okay. So we knowing, so literally knowing nothing. <laughs> I'm going to take a stab at this, and I'd just say, if I had a sodic soil, I can almost guarantee you that I would be putting tile in the ground. Once I put tile in the ground, if I have excess sulfur, like let's say my sulfur level is 2,000 parts per million, then the sulfur is going to combine with the sodium to form sodium sulfate, and it's going to flush out of the soil because that's a salt. Now that I had fixed the drainage and if you've got really heavy soil, you might have to have tile lines 20 or 30 feet apart. 
So this might be unbelievably expensive and you go, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world. It's going to come back over time eventually. Now, granted, it might take a long time, but tile almost always pays quite well. Okay, so if let's say, for example, my calcium is also really low, then I'm taking a look at, all right, how do I raise my calcium up? Because I need better soil porosity. I might do lime. I'm more than likely going to do gypsum, though, because I'm just going to guess here that your sulfur is currently low. So if your sulfur and your calcium are low, I'm going to, number one, put tile on the ground. I'm going to, number two, put gypsum on. The calcium, again, is going to make the soil more porous. The sulfur is going to be in the sulfate form. It's going to combine with sodium to form sodium sulfate, which is a salt. It's leachable. It'll flush out over time. Now, when you're already at eight and a half or nine, you're well on your way to a dead soil. So something needs to be done soon, and it's going to take decades before you get this down to less than 1% sodium where you really want it. But, I mean, if you get started on the right path, things are going to be okay, and you're going to raise good yields in probably not very long as long as you look at all the other elements and get everything else fixed in your soil as well. Okay, Brian, I did find Keith's test, and the reason I was thinking that we had already oh, had done it- a soil it, test question? Yes, I had it pulled up. So so this this one is Keith who had asked- Keith from Illinois. Yes, if, if we could look at stuff. What, what he's got here is two tests pulled five years apart, but the one was an SC3 analysis- DTPA. With DTPA micronutrient and, test. The yeah, other one is in Malik 3 yeah. that was just pulled this year. So Keith said, I had been using Midwest Labs doing my own soil testing, uh, but recently I decided to coordinate with my local ag supplier and have them pull tests, and, and they run a different lab. Uh, I'm confident different that, that, analysis, different yeah, I'm confident method, that yeah. lab is reputable, but uh, just, just kind of curious here. If you ha see any differences I should be concerned about, they are from different years. It is the same field. Uh, okay, Keith, I, I guess the cation exchange capacity looks similar. The soil pHs look similar. Uh, so those kinds of things are and that's similar. really about and, it. And the base saturation percentages look fairly similar. Or, so yeah, an organic matter. That would be the other thing that I, I mean. Well, I will say recently now there's less organic matter. So that would be one question. It's gone from two down to like a 1.2 average. So maybe you've been doing a whole bunch of tillage. Maybe you've been doing something to lower the soil organic matter. I don't know, but yeah, that's that's the only big thing that. I would say really stands out because there's nothing else where we can say, oh, this lab is that much different than the other lab or this extraction is that much different than the other one because it's five years apart. So, I mean, you may have used a whole bunch of phosphorus in the meantime or potassium or anything else. It's hard to say. Let me say this too for everybody listening because you most likely have heard in the past, well, you got to pick one lab and stay with it. I don't really care about that. I really don't because I'll be honest with you. I don't look at my old soil tests. What do I care if five years ago I had low phosphorus or high phosphorus? Who cares? All I really care about is where I'm at today because that's what I'm going to invest my money in is my soil today. So, I mean, sure, is it nice to know if I'm building something or if, you know, things are getting worse or better? I mean, it's kind of nice to know, but it's to me, it's really no big deal. I spend no time on that on our own farm. I just look at what are my levels at today and how can I best invest my fertilizer dollars so I can make money in 2023. So I would just say with these recent tests, when I look at your soil tests and I say, how can I make money here in 2023? 
Um, I'm going to look at it and go, you know what, Keith, um, if it's me, I'm going to be investing a little bit in phosphorus because I got some levels as low as 49 pounds, not parts per million, pounds per acre with a Malik 3 test. Uh, that's really, really, really low. Uh, so phosphorus, I'm going to invest some money in. Potassium, almost all the levels are below 4% base saturation potassium. And this is relatively light soil anyway, which means my parts per million or pounds per acre is going to be low. And sure enough, it is. We're talking maybe 300 pounds of K per acre. Well, that's just flat out not enough for a fantastic crop. In addition to that, as always, we're going to look at the micronutrients. Sulfur, you got 20 or 30 pounds, so that's very low. Boron, you've got a pound, pound and a half. That's quite low. Um, and actually the copper, the iron, the manganese, the zinc, those are all fine. So those are really the big things. So it's it's the standard stuff. It's P, K, and sulfur. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, we appreciate that. I got a couple more, or I got some more soil tests here for you. This is uh, 200, 200 acres of irrigated ground in a 250-acre field. Got some five-acre nice. grids here you're we looking at. We got a lot at. of tests. Mm -hmm. uh, so you said, I'm curious, where would we, where should we start building? You can see on that first page, there's the ranges, min, max, that you see across all the tests. Oh, that might go. be helpful Good. to look at. Very helpful. This is down in South Georgia. CECs are, are fairly low. Ooh, really but, low. But not all Four to low. nine. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty darn low. Four to nine for CEC. So the problem when you say build, it's going to be hard to build. Where should we start? Some of the. Where should we start? Some of the things. So, um, oh, and this is pounds rather than parts per million, and that's incredibly helpful. We got to always know what what unit of measure are we talking here. So when we look at phosphorus, for example, that's the number one thing that I'm going to build because my average is 52 pounds. That's all I've got. And the low is 21. Uh, uh, with potassium, on the other hand, my low is 2.6 base saturation, percent base saturation K and 120 pounds. So do I need to work on that? Yes. But the thing is, if I've got super light soil, it's going to be hard to build potassium super well and have it stay there forever. So I'm going to continue to spoon feed that potassium throughout the season. And that, so that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, in addition to that, you got a couple spots that are low on magnesium, you know, no real big deal, but you're at 7% magnesium. Like I say, no huge thing, but you got to build the things that can stay in the soil well. So that's copper, that's zinc, and that's phosphorus. All three of those look pretty low to me. And even on your soil test things here, it does say either medium or low on all of those. So those you can build. When we start talking about leachables like sulfur, boron, obviously nitrogen, and even to some degree potassium in your light soil, those you're going to be spoon feeding. You're never really going to truly build. You're just going to keep adding, adding, adding a little bit at a time, and you should have a great crop. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.